Hello, my darling, and welcome to today's story time. Today we are reading The Color Out of Space by H.P. Lovecraft. If you like what you hear, please make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And now, on with our story time. West of Arkham, the hills rise wild. And there are valleys with deep woods that no axe has ever cut. There are dark, narrow glens where the trees slope fantastically, and where thin brooklets trickle without ever having caught the glint of sunlight. On the gentler slopes there are farms, ancient and rocky, with squat, moss-coated cottages, brooding eternally over old New England secrets, in the lee of great ledges. But these are all vacant now, the wide chimneys crumbling and the shingled sides bulging perilously beneath low, gambrel roofs. The old folk have gone away, and the foreigners do not like to live there. French Canadians have tried it, Italians have tried it, and the Poles have come and departed. It is not because of anything that has been seen or handled, but because of something that is imagined. The place is not good for the imagination and does not bring restful dreams at night. It must be this which keeps the foreigners away, for old Ami Pierce has never told them of anything he recalls from the strange days. Ami whose head has been a little strange for years, is the only one who still remains, or who ever talks of the strange days. And he dares to do this, because his house is so near the open fields and the traveled roads around Arkham. There was once a road over the hills and through the valleys that ran straight where the blasted heath is now the people ceased to use it, and a new road was laid, curving far toward the south. Traces of the old one can be found amidst the weeds of a returning wilderness, and some of them will doubtless linger, even when half the hollows are flooded for the new reservoir, and the dark woods will be cut down, and the blasted heath will slumber far below blue waters whose surface will mirror the sky and ripple in the sun. And the secrets of the strange days will be one with the deep secrets, one with the hidden lore of old ocean and all the mystery of primal earth. When I went into the hills and vales to survey for the new reservoir, they told me the place was evil. They told me this is an Arkham, and because... That is a very old town, full of witch legends. I thought the evil must be something which grandmas had whispered to children through centuries. The name Blasted Heath seemed to me very odd and theatrical, and I wondered how it had come into the folklore of Puritan people. Then I saw that dark westward tangle of glens and slopes for myself, and I ceased to wonder at anything besides its own elder mystery. It was morning when I saw it, but shadow always lurked there. 
the trees grew too thickly, and their trunks were too big for any healthy New England wood. There was too much silence in the dim alleys between them, and the floor was too soft with the dank moss and mattings of infinite years of decay. In the open spaces, mostly along the line of the old road, there were two hillside farms, sometimes with all the buildings standing, sometimes with only one or two, and sometimes with only a lone chimney or a fast-filling cellar. Weeds and briars rained, and furtive wild things rustled in the undergrowth. Upon everything was a haze of restlessness and oppression, a touch of the unreal and the grotesque, as if some vital element of perspective were awry. I did not wonder that the foreigners would not stay, for this was no region to sleep in. It was too much like a landscape of Salvatore Rosa, too much like some forbidden woodcut in a tale of terror. But even this was not so bad as the blasted heath. I knew at the moment I came upon it, at the bottom of a spacious valley, for no other name could fit such a thing, or any other thing fit such a name. It was as if the poet had coined the phrase from having seen this one particular region. It must, I thought as I viewed it, be the outcome of fire. But why had nothing new ever grown over those five acres? This gray desolation and sprawled open to the skyline like a great spot eaten by acid in the woods and fields. It lay largely to the north of an ancient road line, but encroached a little on the other side. I felt an odd reluctance about approaching, and did so at last, only because my business took me through and past it. There was no vegetation of any kind on that broad expanse, but only a fine gray dust or ash, which no wind seemed ever to blow about. The trees near it were sickly and stunted, and many dead trunks stood or lay rotting at the rim. As I walked hurriedly by, I saw the tumbled bricks and stones of an old chimney. There was a cellar on my right, and the yawning black maw of an abandoned well, whose stagnant vapors played strange tricks with the hues of the sunlight, sat nearby. Even the long, dark woodland climb beyond seemed welcome in contrast, and I marveled no more at the frightened whispers of Arkham people. There had been no house or ruin near. Even in the old days, the place must have been lonely and remote. And at twilight, dreading to repass that ominous spot, I walked back to town, circling past, taking a curving road on the south. I vaguely wished some clouds would gather, for an odd timidity about the deep sky, the voids above, had crept into my soul. In the evening I asked old people in Arkham about the blasted Eve, and what was meant by the phrase, strange days. 
which so many evasively muttered. I could not, however, get any good answers, except that all the mystery was much more recent than I dreamed. It was not a matter of old legend at all, but something within the lifetime of those who spoke it. It had happened in the eighties, and a family had disappeared or was killed. Speakers would not be exact, and because they all told me to pay no attention to old Omi Pierce's crazy tales, I sought him out the next morning, having heard that he lived alone in the ancient tottering cottage, where the trees first began to get very thick. It was a fearsomely archaic place, and had begun to exude the faint miasmal odor which clings about houses that have stood too long. Only with persistent knocking could I rouse the aged man, and when he shuffled timidly to the door, I could tell he was not glad to see me. He was not so feeble as I had expected, but his eyes drooped in a curious way, and his unkempt clothing and white beard made him seem very warm and dismal. Not knowing just how he could best be launched on his tails, I feigned a matter of business, told him of my surveying, and asked vague questions about the district. He was far brighter and more educated than I had been led to think, and before I knew it, had grasped quite as much of the subject as any man I had talked with in Arkham. He was not like the other rustics I had known, in the sections where reservoirs would be. From him, there were no protests at the miles of old wood and farmland he blotted out. Though perhaps there would have been had not his home lain outside the bounds of the future life. Relief was all that he showed. Relief at the doom of the dark ancient valleys through which he had roamed all of his life. They were better underwater now. Better underwater since the strange days, at least. And with this opening, his husky voice sank low, while his body leaned forward, and his right forefinger began to point shakily and impressively. It was then that I heard the story, and as the rambling voice scraped and whispered on, I shivered again and again, despite the summer day. Often I had to recall the speaker from ramblings and piece out scientific points which he knew only by a fading parrot memory of Professor's talk or bridge over gaps where his senses of logic and continuity broke down. When he was done, I did not wonder that his mind had snapped a trifle or that the folk of Arkham would not speak much of the blasted Eve. I hurried back before sunset to my hotel, unwilling to have the stars come out upon me again in the open, and the next day I returned to Boston to give up my position. I could not go into that dim chaos of old forest and the slope again, or face another time that grey-blasted heath where the black well yawned deep beside the tumbled bricks and stones. The reservoir will soon be built now, and all those elder secrets will be safe forever under watery, fathoms deep. 
But even then, I do not believe I would like to visit that country by night. At least, not when the sinister stars are out. And nothing could bribe me to drink the new city water of Arkham. It all began, old Ami said, with the meteorite. Before that time, there had been no wild legends at all since the witch trials. And even then, these western woods were not feared half so much as the small island in the Miskatonic, where the devil held court beside a curious stone altar, older than the Indians. These were not haunted woods, and their fantastic dusk was never terrible until the strange days. Then there had come that white noontide cloud, that string of explosions in the air, and that pillar of smoke from the valley far in the wood. And by night, all of Arkham had heard of the great rock that fell out of the sky, embedded itself in the ground beside the well at the Nam Gardner place. That was the house, which had stood where the blasted heath was to come, the trim white Naum Gardner house, amidst its fertile gardens and orchards. Nam had come to town to tell people about the stone, and dropped in at Ami Pierce's on the way. Ami was forty then, and all of the strange things were fixed very strongly in his mind. He and his wife had gone with the three professors from Miskatonic University, who hastened out the next morning to see the weird visitor of unknown stellar space. They had wondered why. Nam had called it so large the day before. It had shrunk, Nam said, as he pointed out the big brownish mound above the ripped earth and the charred grass near the archaic well sweep in his front yard. But the wise men answered that stones do not shrink. Its heat lingered persistently, and Nam declared it had glowed faintly in the night. The professors tried it with geologists' hammers, and found it was oddly soft. It was, in truth, so soft as to almost be plastic. Then they gouged, rather than chipped, a specimen to take back to the college for testing. They took it in an old pail borrowed from Naum's kitchen, and even the small piece refused to grow cool. On the trip back, they stopped at Ami's to rest, and seemed thoughtful when Mrs. Pierce remarked that the fragment was growing smaller and burning the bottom of the pail. Truly it was not large, but perhaps they had taken less than they thought. The day after that, all of this was in June, 82. The professors had trooped out again in a great excitement. As they passed homies, they told him what strange things the specimen had done and how it had faded wholly away when they put it in a glass beaker. The beaker had gone, too, and the wise men talked of the strange stone's affinity for silicone. It had acted quite unbelievably in that well-ordered laboratory, doing nothing at all, and showing no occluded gases when heated on charcoal, being wholly negative in the borax bead, and soon proving itself absolutely non-volatile, at any producible temperature, 
including that of the oxyhydrogen blowpipe. On an anvil it appeared highly malleable, and in the dark its luminosity was very marked. Stubbornly refusing to grow cool, it soon had the college in a state of real excitement. It went upon a heating before the spectroscope, and displayed shining bands unlike any known colors of the normal spectrum. There was much breathless talk of new elements, bizarre optical properties, and other things which puzzled men of science, who are wont to say, when faced by the unknown. Hot as it was, they tested it in a crucible with all the proper reagents. Water did nothing. Hydrochloric acid was the same. Nitric acid, and even aqua regia, merely hissed and spattered against its torrid invulnerability. Ami had difficulty in recalling all of these things, but he did recognize some solvents as I mentioned them in the usual order of use. There were ammonia and caustic soda, alcohol and ether, nauseous carbon disulfide and a dozen others. But although the wheat grew steadily less as time passed, and the fragments seemed to be slightly cooling, there was no change in the solvents to show that they attacked the substance at all. It was a metal, though, beyond a doubt. It was magnetic, for one thing, and after its immersion in the acid solvents, there seemed to be faint traces of the Weidmannstadten figures found on the meteoric iron. When the cooling had grown very considerable, the testing was carried on in glass, and it was in a glass beaker that they left all of the chips, made of the original fragment during the work. The next morning, both chips and beaker were gone without a trace, and only a charred spot marked the place on the wooden shelf where they had been. All this the professors told Ami as they paused at his door, and once more he went with them to see the stony messenger from the stars, though this time his wife did not accompany him. It had now most certainly shrunk, and even the sober professors could not doubt the truth of what they saw. All around the dwindling brown lump near the well was a vacant space, except where the earth had caved in, and whereas it had been a good seven feet across the day before, it was now scarcely five. It was still hot, and the sages studied its surface curiously as they detached another and larger piece with hammer and chisel. They gouged deeply this time, and they pried away the smaller mass, seeing that the core of the thing was not quite homogeneous. They had uncovered what seemed to be the side of a large colored globule embedded in the substance, a color which resembled some of the bands in the meteor's strange spectrum, was almost impossible to describe. And it was only by analogy that they called it a color at all. Its texture was glossy, and upon tapping it, it appeared to promise both brittleness and hollowness. One of the professors gave it a smart blow with a hammer, and it burst with a nervous little pop. Nothing was emitted, and all trace of the thing vanished with the puncturing, and left behind a hollow, spherical space about three inches across. 
and all thought it probable that others would be discovered as the enclosing substance wasted away. Conjecture was so vain, so after a futile attempt to find additional globules by drilling, the seekers left again with their new specimen, which proved, however, as baffling in the laboratory as its predecessor had been. Aside from being almost plastic, having heat, magnetism, and a slight luminosity, cooling slightly in powerful acids, possessing an unknown spectrum, wasting away in air, and attacking silicon compounds with mutual destruction as a result, it presented no identifying features whatsoever. And at the end of the tests, the college students were forced to own that they could not place it. It was nothing of this earth, but a piece of the great outside, and as such, dowered with outside properties and obedient to outside laws. That night there was a thunderstorm, and when the professors went out to Nalms the next day, they met with bitter disappointment. The stone, magnetic as it had been, must have had some strange electrical property, for it had drawn the lightning, as Naum said, with a singular persistence. Six times within an hour the farmer saw the lightning strike the furrow in the front yard, and when the storm was over, nothing remained but a ragged pit by the ancient well-sweep, half-choked with caved-in earth. Digging had borne no fruit, and the scientists verified the fact of the utter vanishment. The failure was total, so that nothing was left to do but go back to the laboratory and test again the disappearing fragment left carefully cased in lead. That fragment lasted a week, at the end of which nothing of value had been learned from it. When it had gone, no residue was left behind and in time the professors felt scarcely sure. They had indeed seen with waking eyes that cryptic vestige of the fathomless gulfs outside, that lone, weird message from the universes and other realms of matter, force, and entity. And this, my darling, ends our reading for today. As always, I hope that you have very sweet and creepy dreams. <laughs>